Happy Sunday, church. I don't know if you got any tacos on your way in, but our youth ministry is giving tacos away for a small donation, and the money goes toward youth camp sponsorships and helping kids get to camp. Yeah. They were, okay, we got run one row excited about tacos. They're still going to have them. I think after church, is that right? Okay. Um, so you'll want to get some if you can, and if you're not hungry, just give a donation. Help kids get to camp. Well, you know what I love is the fact that we have never turned away a student based on money. In the history of our church, money has never kept a student from going to camp. And we just always encouraged our students um, through the years, the last 13 years, that if you want to go to camp, God wants you at camp, and he will make a way. And as your church family, we will make sure that you get there. And so we've partnered with parents. And of course, we've made sure that kids did fundraising. Uh, we believe that, I almost said something totally unbiblical. I almost said, God helps those who help themselves, which is not actually biblical at all. But we do believe in teaching young people accountability and working hard and appreciating and honoring what is giving to them. And so all of these students are actually doing the fundraisers and participating. They'll be washing cars and babysitting, all kinds of good things. If you want to send a student to camp to have a life-changing encounter, please get a taco. Even if you're not hungry, throw a few bucks down for the donation, and uh, we'll get all of our kids to camp. Amen? Camp changes lives. Not to mention parents get a week off. You just get a week off of just whatever you want to do. It's amazing. It's amazing. Double blessing. Thank you, Lord. Last week, I began a series called A Generous Life. And Ryan, is that Ryan? Oh, my goodness. Hey, Ryan. Good to see you. You were on death's door just a few days ago. Do you have the strength to stand? Father, in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you for Ryan Bonner. We thank you for what you're doing in his body even now. We speak to every infirmity, every disease, every sickness. We say that it must bow to the name of Jesus. God, I thank you that his heart is functioning and increasing in function every minute that passes. In Jesus' name, Father, we declare that his body will line up to the way you have designed it to function not the way sin has had its way, the fallen world has had its way, any disease or sickness that has been trampling his body. Right now, we command his body to line up to the word of God. In Jesus' name, God, I thank you for his life. I thank you for another day. In Jesus' name, I pray. Let the church say amen. I'll hug you after the sermon. We got a chance to visit him in the hospital this week, and all the nurses loved him. I'm like, why? What is it about Ryan? He's just so charming. I get it. Good to see you, Ryan. I don't know what the Lord is doing in this service, but I'm just sensing a shifting in my spirit, if that's okay. I, you, you maybe notice that I'm just taking baby steps into the sermon because I'm not sure what God is wanting to do. I, I sense that maybe God is wanting to heal some people today. And... My sermon topic is not on healing, it's on tithing. But what I said last week applies again today. Anytime I've spoken on money, we have had tremendous amounts of breakthrough, physical healing, 
marriage restoration, kids coming home, even your kids that are states away, that don't know the Lord, aren't hearing the sermon. God does something in the midst of families when we talk about money, when we establish it and ground it in the root of God and the word of God. And so I don't know what God is wanting to do, but I just sense that we're in a moment of healing today. So I just want you to right now, whatever it is, your point of need, you know what it is. Just what is it that you need from the Lord right now? What is it that you need? I just want you to close your eyes for a moment. Whether it's healing, peace, joy, financial breakthrough, provision, whatever it is that you need from the Lord, I just want you to take your hand and just reach it up in the air, grab it, and pull it down to your heart. God, I thank you that all good gifts come from you. I ask that you would give us the faith this morning to step into all that you have for us. In Jesus' name. As we sang that last song, Alive in the River, the Lord took me to 2 Kings chapter 5, the story of Naaman. This is not my sermon. Second Kings chapter five, turn with me there. I just want to pull out a nugget for someone in the room. If you're there, say there. Y'all are fast. Second Kings chapter 5 is the story of Naaman who had leprosy and he was told to dip in the Jordan seven times to get healed. Uh, we we're singing a song called Alive in the River. And as I was reading chapter 5 during that moment of worship, I, I thought it was just for me. The Lord just wanted to share something with me, but I want to share it with you. Chapter 5, I'll start with verse 1. It says, Now Naaman commander of the army of the king of Syria was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor but a leper. He was a mighty man of valor but a leper. That just jumped out at me and I just felt in the moment that maybe there are many of us in the room that we're holding two realities. We know deep down that we're a mighty man of valor, but I'm a leper. But I'm diseased. But I have faults. But I have failures. But my marriage is broken. But my kids are crazy. But my finances are a wreck. Like, we're seeing the dichotomy of being a child of God, but also feeling like an orphan of God. Well, today, I just want to remind you that you're going to come alive in the river. And don't just dip one time and look around and expect that things are going to change. Don't, don't go down two or three times and get discouraged like Naaman did. He got furious, actually. But when you step into the moment of obedience and you go down seven times, when you just hold on, when you just continue 
praying, when you keep believing God for the breakthrough, for the miracle, for the restoration, for the healing, for the finances, for the reconciliation, whatever it is that you need from God, today is not the day to give up. It's not. You may have dipped seven years already. It's not the day to walk away from your miracle. So I I hope that this moment, this action is something that's going to break in the physical realm. The spiritual, the physical action of grabbing what you need is going to break something in the spiritual today. Do you believe it? Amen. Man, I just look across the room and I just feel the weight of so many needs that are here. Lord, what do you want me to do? Will you stand to your feet? At the end of today's message, we're going to have the team come back up and sing Alive in the River. We're also going to assimilate our prayer team. And those of you who need a point of contact for your miracle, we're going to pray for you as we sing that song in response to us getting our mind right our framework right, our theology right on money. And we're going to see breakthrough. You ready? Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 12 says, Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. It will not open the window, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you, and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you. Anyone need the devourer rebuked? Now, the devourer is not your 21-year-old that eats four boxes of cereal in one sitting. The devourer <laughs> uh, said that like it's true. The devourer is the enemy that comes in and, and snatches the seed on the soil. The enemy is the one that comes in and snatches the word from the hearts and from the ears. God will... Rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your word. I thank you from Malachi chapter 3, one of the most uh, famous texts on tithing and giving and God, I thank you that it's an example to us, but I thank you that it didn't stop with Malachi 3. In Jesus' name I pray, let the church say, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, The Tithe. Now it's T-I-T-H-E. Tithe. 
not tied like a pod you put in the washing machine. It's not a tied. It's not a tie like that thing I never wear. It's not a tie. It's a tithe. T-I-T-H-E. Turn to your other neighbor and say tithe. 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 Now, the, the word tithe that we read in Malachi 3, the Hebrew word is masech. Masech means literally a tenth. A tenth. So when we say a tithe, we're not just randomly pulling out a tenth. We're not suggesting it's a tenth. That's the literal, literal translation of the word tithe in Scripture. It is a tenth portion. Now, what you may or may not know is uh, the Israelites, the, the chosen people of God, were given three tithes to complete. What's a percentage of three tithes? Anyone do good in elementary school math? Three tithes. What would three tithes equal? 30%. Shocking, right? Is that shocking? You've got a tithe. You've got a tithe. You've got a tithe. It's not a trick question. It's actually that easy for some of us. A tithe means 10%, and Israel had to pay three tithes. Not just one. We like to think it's just one, or that's what we've been conditioned to believe. But they paid three tithes. The first tithe, which was how many? 10%. How much? 10%. That went to the Levites and the priest. So anyone that was in charge of leading the work of the ministry got a tenth. Now, I'll just throw this out here. I don't make a tenth of your income. Guaranteed. I don't pull in the tithe from the church and it doesn't go in my back pocket. I don't even know what very tiny percentage I bring in from the tithe. I do get paid because a workman is worthy of his hire. It's biblical that a pastor get paid. It's biblical that church staff get paid fairly, uh, right. Uh, but I don't get a tenth. So we don't say, hey, 10% of your income goes to Pastor Trey's pocket. I, Chris, would love that. If we did that, I would not complain at all. Um, but that's not what we do. We, we do the tithe as 10%. The second 10% that the Israelites had to pay, that was for all the festivals, the religious festivals. So the Tent of Booths, the, um, any festivals that they had you know, going on, Passover, whatever, uh, the festivals would get another 10% that was paid every month. So it would be stored up. It would kind of be like if we did from 11 to 20% of your pay, was for all of our church picnics. Man, we could throw some serious parties. Wouldn't that be fun? No, Chad. I'd... I'm not advocating that we do that. I'm just letting us compare now to the law, okay? To the law, they did that. So 10% was for all the festivals. And then there was another 10% that happened, but that wasn't annual. So I kind of misled you with the 30%. It was every three years they did a third tithe. Every three years, they took up another 10% of your income, the first fruits, firstborn cattle, all of that, and the money raised from that would go to the poor, the widow, the orphan, anyone that needed help financially, the church every three years would take that up and then distribute it over the course of three years. So the grand total that the Israelites had to pay annually was approximately 23%, 23.333%. Okay, 
So when we say tithe, it's a little more complex than just 10% and then they're done with it. They would give 23%. Now, the practice of tithing began long before the law of Moses. How many of us have ever heard someone say that tithing is Old Testament and when Jesus came, he did away with the tithe? Anyone? Okay, yeah, make some noise, wave at me so I know. Okay, a lot of us in the church have heard that. We've, we've believed it. Let's be honest, it's kind of fun to believe that. Oh, Jesus paid it all. <laughs> but tithing wasn't a part of the law. It superseded the law. We see long before the law of Moses ever came that Abraham, as I said last week, he paid tithes to Melchizedek. Before the law, in Genesis 28, Jacob promised a tithe to the Lord. Um, and records, secular records, go back to non-Christian historians and recorders such as Josephus, for example, record that the Egyptians, the Chaldeans, and the Assyrians all tithed to their gods, lowercase g. Our God is a capital G, but the Egyptians, Chaldeans, and Assyrians all tithed to their lowercase g, as did some of the ancient Chinese, Greeks, Romans, and Arabians. Okay, tithing is not a Christian structure made up by a faulty church to get people's money. <laughs> okay, can we at least admit that? Cultures, even outside of Christianity, understand that where your treasure is, there your heart is also. That's why all of these false lowercase g gods are getting tithes by so many peoples around the world because it is a spiritual truth that has been distorted by those who create false truths. Tithing is so fundamental to the Christian experience that if someone is going to make up a false religion, they must mimic the idea of tithing for it to even be considered an authentic religion. Are you following? Today's title is Uprooting the Spirit of Mammon. Uprooting the Spirit of Mammon. The word mammon is seen four times in Scripture. And I want to take you to the book of Luke, chapter 16. We're going to read three of those times that the word mammon is found in Scripture. Luke 16, verses 9 through 13 says, And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. We'll explain that. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much, and he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant, this is the clincher, verse 13. Here we go. No servant can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. 
Turn to your neighbor and say, I don't like mammon. Look at your other, other neighbor and say, but I like money. <laughs> I hate mammon, but I love me some money. Can I get an amen from somebody? You, you amen, you don't even know. You're like, if he said it, I'll just say amen. <laughs> some of your translations say mammon. Some of your translations say Money, okay? I, I think that the translation called money does a bit disservice to what Scripture is really saying here. So we're going to walk through mammon three times here. It says the word mammon. The fourth time mammon is found in Scripture is in the book of Matthew, chapter 6, when it's recording this exact same phrase and teaching from Jesus. So Jesus is the only one referencing mammon in the Bible. He says, no one can serve two masters. You will either Love one, hate the other. You'll be loyal to one, despise the other, but you can't serve both God and mammon. I would think in 49 years of studying the Bible that I might be able to find another phrase where God puts himself up against some other rival. You can't serve both God and the devil. That makes sense. The only problem is it's not in Scripture. You can't serve both God and pornography. That kind of makes sense. But that's not in Scripture. You can't serve both God and politics. Well, that makes sense. But that's not in Scripture. The only thing that sets itself up as a rival against your creator, the Bible says, is mammon. You can't serve both God and mammon. They are mutually exclusive. I mean, if you take two hula hoops, anyone remember math, the concept of mutually exclusive? Some of you are like, no, I slept during that hour of class. If you take two hula hoops and they're separated from each other, the contents in each don't overlap. They are mutually exclusive. If the hula hoops cross over and there's a portion where they overlap, right? So, for example, if hula hoop number one is male, hula hoop number two is married. You can be male or you can be married. I happen to be both. Those hula hoops cross over. I'm right in the middle. I am both male and married. Does that make sense? So what you didn't learn in high school, you just learned in church. You are welcome. You are. But when I pull them apart, that means I can't be both. It is not possible for me to be both. There is no overlapping section. And God says one of the hula hoops is God. The other is mammon. It is physically, spiritually impossible for those two hula hoops to overlap, you cannot serve both God and mammon. Mammon. Since mammon appears to be the rival of God, we should probably figure out what mammon actually is. How many of you would like to know what mammon is this morning? Thank you. Point number one, I've got three points today, all in the form of questions that you might be asking. Number one, what is mammon? What is mammon? Most people would assume that mammon just means money. 
Because that's what some of your translations say. But the answer is so much deeper than that. Mammon is an Aramaic word which refers to riches and wealth, but it comes from the Syrian god of riches. So one of the lowercase g gods, the Syrian god, his name was Mammon. And if you served Mammon well, you would have influence and you would have wealth and and you were constantly chasing after money and chasing to please the god of money, Mammon, so that he would give you more. It was a false God. And I think when Jesus says you can't serve both God and mammon, he's referring to the false God that they knew in that day. When he would have said mammon back then, everyone around would have known exactly what he meant. The Syrians had a God called mammon, and it was the God of riches. And this had come from Babylon. Babylon. Anyone remember the story of the Tower of Babel? Okay, Babylon, to understand mammon, we have to back up a little bit to Babylon. The meaning of Babylon, well, Babel, Babel means confusion. When a child is eight months and they're blah, 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 they're babbling. They're speaking confusion. Hopefully, the older you get, the more you learn vocabulary, the more you can put sentences together, there's less babbling. And there's more sentence structure in place. But Babel means confusion. When you throw the on, Babylon, it means birthed from or seeded by. So Babylon quite literally means sown in confusion. Mammon came from the Babylonian system. So mammon is given birth by confusion. Anyone ever just get really, you look at your finances and you look at the bills and how much is in your account and it's overwhelming and you sense this dark cloud coming in and it's just confusion. Like, what, what do I do? What do I pay first? How do I pay all of these bills? How do I get more food on the table? Typically, when dealing with money issues, you will always experience confusion because there is a spirit attached to mammon that was birthed from Babylon. Confusion. Now, by the way, mammoth is Mammoth. <laughs> Mammon. Mammon is looking for servants. Mammon is always looking for servants. It wants to rule in your life. It wants you to look for it, to look to it instead of looking to God. And many of us actually believed, grew up believing that Mammon was okay, and we didn't know it. We, we thought that we had a healthy perspective of Mammon. There's a message today going around, and it's not new. It's been, it has literally been around since the time Scripture was written. It's called the prosperity gospel. Anyone heard that term, the prosperity gospel? Now, pause the tape and hear me. I personally believe... Uh, let me make that stronger. It's not about my personal belief. Scripture is 100% clear that God wants you to prosper... And be in good health. Okay, that's not my interpretation. Third John chapter 1 verse 2, I believe. God wants you to prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. You don't have to be broke to be a Christian. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that you can be a Christian and be broke. I'm thankful that you can be raised in America or 
raised in South Africa or raised in Zimbabwe or raised in London, no matter what the financial structures of the world are, it doesn't exclude anyone's heart. So poor people can know Jesus, but you don't have to be poor to know Jesus. God wants you to prosper, but there is this prosperity gospel that comes with confusion. The prosperity gospel takes it to an extreme. And it says, if you give, you'll get. If you give enough, God is going to bless your socks off with a new Mercedes paid off. All all your student loans are going to be taken care of. A new Rolex. You're going to get a Rolex. You're going to get a brand new car. You have been driving that Camry for 13 years. That's because Camrys last 13 years. Toyota. I lost my place because my wife is driving a 13-year-old Camry, so I'm seeing if she's side-eyeing me right now because she wants a Jeep, and I'm just saying, the Lord has blessed us with a 13-year-old Camry. <laughs> but the prosperity gospel will convince you that if you give, God will tangibly give you something in return. It's a transaction. Your giving becomes a transaction rather than faith. Right? Faith is, I'm giving my tithe because it's not mine. It belongs to the Lord. Scripture only gives us two options with our tithe. We can either bring it or we can steal it. That's just the Bible. I only have two options with the 10%. My options happen at 10.01% when it's my money. So I, God has the 10%. He allows me to keep and use the 90%. And I get to do whatever I want with the 90% in any way that honors God. But I don't get to be generous with my 90% until I've given God and brought the 10%. Right? So I don't know where I was going with all of that. I'm still stuck on the Camry and wondering if I'm in trouble. Oh, yes, 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 yes. So many of us will, will give in an offering because we need something from God. Now, I'm not suggesting that you shouldn't do that. There have been a number of times that I've I have petitioned the Lord for something and he has planted in my heart and my spirit to give an abundant offering as, as a step of faith. But it's an interaction between Holy Spirit and me. It's not a formula that I'm following so that God will return to me that Rolls Royce or that Rolex or pay all my bills or pay off the student loans. It's, I'm not giving for that. I'm giving because God is testing my faith. God is stretching my faith. I'm partnering with what God is wanting to do in my life. So I, I give a bigger offering. The problem with the prosperity gospel is that when things suddenly go wrong in your life, and newsflash, if you're human here today, I don't see any AI in the room today yet in 2023 with flesh on. But if you're human in the room, you're going to have problems. Your stuff is going to break. Your kids are going to get on your nerves. 
Your marriage is going to require work. Your career may let, let go of you. You may not be able to afford food. Like, you're going to have tribulation in this life. And when we buy into the prosperity gospel, here, here's what happens. When things go wrong in my life, and I bought into the prosperity gospel, suddenly one of two things happen. I either despise God. I question his goodness. I question if he's for me. Or two, I despise myself. I stop believing that I'm a child. A child of God. I start to say things like, have I been paying my tithe? What am I doing wrong? What's going wrong? When, when I have set up mammon and elevated the prosperity gospel and life happens, I don't continue in a faithful walk of trusting God and asking God, what's the next step for me? I begin to evaluate. What's wrong with God? What's wrong with me? Now listen, church, I've got a lot of things wrong with my house right now. A lot. And my wife says amen. The pool... No, I just fixed that this week. The pool is fixed as of Tuesday. My AC went out. It's been out for three weeks. And it's been so hot. No, I'm just, I was going to milk it. It's not been bad at all. Uh, because we have a portable unit that was downstairs and it kept the downstairs just fine and the upstairs was working. But it did get fixed on Friday. And it was... $10,600. Yeah, a lot. It's a lot of money. Um, what else? Oh, our stove went out. So, which is fine. If a stove is going to go out, it should go out while your AC's out. Because you ain't using that thing anyway. Thank you, Lord, for the timing. Our stove went out. So, we're getting a new stove uh, Monday or Tuesday, if all pans out, as, as we think. Um, Carrie's, Carrie's car is, is 13 years old so we've been saving for that uh, because we know that that's coming around and then the upstairs AC after we got the downstairs AC fixed I noticed that the upstairs is now not cooling but that's okay only the kids go up there <laughs> now I could be tempted to say God where are you I am a man of God. I preach the word. I pray and I prophesy. I spend hours in the word. Where is the hand of favor? Where is the blessing in my life? Where, where are you, God? Why aren't you faithful? But the truth is, he's been with me through it all. There is not one moment of my story the last two to three months where he's not been right there beside me in the middle of it all. And I can say that confidently because mammon is not my God. If we elevate mammon, if we buy into the prosperity gospel and we allow mammon to take the place of God, mammon will often promise us things that only God can give us. Money will promise us, mammon will promise us identity, security, significance, happiness, joy. But all of these things only God can give us. And mammon, by the way, is the spirit of Antichrist. In this church, we talk about the end of days quite often. If you're new to the church and you've not heard it recently, maybe you've heard it from the, from the past or movies that you've watched. 
the Antichrist in the final days will set itself up against God. And by the way, you can't serve God and the spirit of mammon. The spirit of mammon is the Antichrist. And we see that from one simple verse in Revelation. And I, I know it's shocking because no one's ever really put this together. But the spirit of Antichrist in the end of days does not rule by threat of nuclear war. It rules through the means and the threat of not being able to buy and sell. The Antichrist will use the spirit of mammon to control the world. Now, if that's not reason enough for us to uproot the spirit of mammon in our life right now, I don't know what is. That's the spirit that in the end of days will cause everyone to bow to the Antichrist rather than to choose God. And all through our lives, mammon is trying to get us to bow. All through our lives, it's trying to get us to serve it, worship it. And Jesus is saying, no, God is the only one that can provide everything that you need. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Some of you will say that if you had more money, people will listen to you. If you had more money, or you had the right credit cards, if you had the right clothes, if you had the right car, if you had the right house, if you had the right whatever, fill in the blank, that you would be happier. And, and maybe you would for a moment. Maybe. I've never seen anyone sad on a jet ski. <laughs> but that happiness won't last. If it's the money that's giving you happiness. <laughs> jet skis are pretty nice. If you had more money, you'd have a better marriage. Well, if you had more money, maybe you could afford marriage counseling. But the money isn't getting you a better marriage. The counseling isn't getting you a better marriage. You and your spouse putting in the work is getting a better marriage. Maybe if I had more money, and here's, here's a big fat lie. Here's a big fat money lie. You can take this one to the bank. It, it's humongously wrong. And we whitewash it and we act like it's holy and Christian, but this lie is so sneaky and it's clever. But this is the lie we say. We say, if I had more money, I could help more people. Money doesn't help people. God does. If you think you need money to reach people, you have mammon sitting on the throne of your heart, not God. Now, God will use your money. God will use any resource that you have, but you don't need more money to reach more people. You need God. Jesus never told anyone that he needed more money. The lame man who needed healing, the beggars who needed alms, the blind man, he never turned to anyone and said, hold on one second, I need to get some money before I can bring healing to you. Jesus never said he needed more money. But here's proof how mammon has infiltrated all of our hearts from time to time. Every one of us have probably thought this. I either need God to show up in a big way or I need someone to give me some money. I've thought it. I, I really need a miracle or I just need somebody to help me out with money. And if someone would give me some money, I'm okay. God, my problems will be fixed our problems will be solved. And what we're really saying is, if we just had money, if we had more money, we wouldn't need you. 
Second question, is money evil? Is money evil? Jesus said unrighteous mammon. What he's talking about is, is a spirit. Mammon is a spirit. That's why it's deeper than money. Look at your neighbor and say, it ain't Casper. This ain't no friendly ghost. The spirit of mammon is not something nice. Mammon is a spirit. And if it's not a spirit, how come it talks? You know it talks because you go to give an offering. And you hear things like, but what about that stove? But what about that AC? Oh, but I got a college payment coming up. Uh, I'm low on gas. Oh, the 15th is still seven days away. Four days away. Mammon will talk to you. Anytime you go to step out in faith and giving, you will hear the spirit of mammon try to convince you that you need mammon more than you need to activate your faith. Mammon is a spirit that rests on all money. All money has a spirit on it, by the way. It is either the spirit of God or the spirit of mammon. All the money in your account right now, whether you've got 42 cents or $42 million, every penny in your account has a spirit hovering on it. You get the spirit of mammon off your money when you bring to God the 10% and he redeems the 90%. We talked about this last week. Do you remember the firstborn? You give the first, he redeems the rest. When you bring the 10% to God, the other 90% is redeemed. The spirit of mammon is kicked off your money, and the spirit of God hovers on your money. Now, I don't know why anyone would want the spirit of mammon hovering on their money. My finances don't need any more help being dysfunctional. Sometimes the first thing we pay is the mortgage or rent. Last week we talked about the principle of the first. When we bring God the first, he redeems the rest. We need to understand, church, hear me clearly. Wells Fargo is great, but it can't redeem the rest of your money. You need to pay your rent and you need to pay your mortgage, but you need to bring God his first so that the rest can be blessed and redeemed and God can stretch that to accomplish all that he wants to do in your life. Is money evil? Money is not evil. Money is neutral. You can do good with money. You can do bad with money. And people sometimes say, but pastor, the Bible says that money is the root of all evil. No, it doesn't. The Bible does not say that money is the root of all evil. The Bible says the love of money. 1 Timothy 6.10. 1 Timothy 6.10. We'll get Jordan up on keys. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Your money is not evil. It's neutral. It becomes blessed or cursed based on the spirit that rests on it. The thing that is evil is your love of money. When you elevate money to the God in your life, that is when money appears to be evil. And then my final point today, what should I do with money?
Everybody in this room has money. Every one of us. Some of us more than others. Some of us, it's in different forms. Stocks, bonds, cash, land, pennies, or a swear jar. But we all have money. I don't want to minimize anyone in the room that's currently struggling financially because you bring just as much value to the kingdom and what God wants to build than anyone else in this room. If you have 25 cents to your name, you are just as important to the kingdom of God on planet earth than the millionaire that's sitting in the room. So it's not about if you have enough money to make a difference. It's about if you have enough obedience to make a difference. Someone said, Pastor, I I don't think I have enough unrighteous mammon to really need this sermon. I don't think I have enough money because I'm not investing. I'm not saving. I'm not building retirement. I've got less than $10 in my savings account. I don't have I don't have enough money for food. I had to go through the couch this week to find coins to buy a quart of milk. Pastor, I don't have enough money for this sermon to make a difference. And with love, I would say, with that perspective, you never will. Because anything you have currently right now is something that God can use. There are stories all throughout the scripture where God looked favorably on a woman who gave two pennies, all she had, two pennies, where a little boy had a couple fish and a couple loaves of bread and multitudes were filled. God is in the business of using little to create much, but before he can use little to create much in your life, you have to learn to steward little. Not steward little. That really confused me. You have, you have to be a good steward of not a lot. Good steward of not a lot. Because when you manage a little and you can be trusted with a little, God releases more to you. Verse 10, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? Be faithful with what you have. Manage it. Track it. Be accountable to God for it. Because when we have lack in our life, we usually assume the lack is a lack of money. But more times than not, the lack is in our faithfulness to steward what we've been given. I don't know if you've ever gotten tired of being broke, ever gotten tired of like being nickel and dimed to death, ever gotten tired of getting to the end of the month and thought, what do I have to show for my money? I don't know where it's gone. And so you sit down and you make a budget and you track every single dollar that has come in and every dollar that is going out you have noticed the moment you start to track everything, suddenly you have more money. You, 
you've noticed that. Just like the moment you want to buy a yellow Volkswagen, you start looking around the road and suddenly you start seeing yellow Volkswagens everywhere. It's not that they're suddenly on the road, it's that you're paying attention to it, so now they're countable. When you pay attention to your money, it suddenly becomes countable and it doesn't evaporate. So we track it. And as we steward our money well and we're faithful with the 50 cents, God trusts us with $5. And when we're faithful with $5, he trusts us with 50. When we're faithful with 50, he trusts us with 500. I'm going to ask our team to come in the remaining minutes. I believe that today is going to be the catalyst for a number of miracles in the room. Will you stand to your feet? If you're watching online and you need a miracle in your life, just go ahead and do the hand emoji. Raise your hand right now so we know who is in the room watching online. You need a miracle from the Lord. If you're standing in the room, you need a miracle. Maybe it's a financial miracle. Maybe it's not. Maybe you need breakthrough in your mental health. Maybe you need breakthrough in your relationships. Maybe you just need peace. You need joy. Whatever that breakthrough is that you need, if you'll just raise your hand right now. Keep it keep it raised so I know. Okay, all over the room. All over the room. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, I thank you. I thank you that we today collectively as a people have declared that we choose to serve you. We know that we can't serve both God and mammon. Our choice is you, God. And as we serve you, as we lean into you, as we push aside materialism, as we push aside the pursuit of money, unrighteous money, God, I ask that you would naturally let the overflow of our life be breakthrough. God, for anyone in the room that needs physical healing, God, I speak healing to their bodies right now in the name of Jesus. Anyone that needs relational healing, God, we speak healing over that in Jesus' name. God, we repent for placing money as the God of our heart. And in this moment, Father, as we have readjusted, realigned our values to you, God, I ask that there would continue to be breakthrough in every area of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to sing this song. As we sing this song, Carrie, do you want to have your team come up, prayer team? If anyone needs prayer, we want to be a point of contact for you. So please come to the front. We're going to sing this song through once and then we'll come up and dismiss you.
speaking of river, next week is Father's Day, which has nothing to do with river. Um, but the week after Father's Day is baptisms, and that's going to be, yes, come on, baptisms. It is June 25th. Uh, you can already register, sign up for that. It's at Lake Pflugerville. We love doing it the outdoors way. Also, at the end of baptism, you can come before, come early, and stay late as a family because we're having a church picnic. So, yeah, bring your food to eat, swimsuits, whatever. The kids love to swim in the lake. And uh, we're going to have a prayer tent set up for all the community that's out there. So anyone that needs prayer, Pedro, we can offer prayer for the community. I think we're also going to take out some, uh, I can't remember, Pedro, uh, water bottles and Gatorade, cold water, cold Gatorade to give the people on the shore there. I was going to say popsicles, but I think that was just wishful thinking. Uh, but we're going to do water, Gatorade. Anyway, I hope that you will plan to, number one, get baptized if you haven't, because that's your next step in the line of faith. Um, but if you've been baptized or you're not getting baptized on the 25th, show up at the lake as a support to celebrate. We worship together on the shore while people are getting baptized. And we're just going to hang out, have a picnic, get sunburned together. Amen? All right. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for our time together today. I ask you to continue to bless each and every one of us as we continue our next steps of faith in you, for you, and through you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Let the church say amen. amen. Now that you've been to church, go be the church. God bless you.